Howdy, Coop. Howdy, Zacharias. It's good to see you again. It's good to see you, man. Even though we're quarantined together and I really haven't seen anyone else but you. Yeah, you're kind of like my only friend. <laughs> Not really. We do have a couple more guys living with us. Praise God. So fun. But really, all we can do in this quarantine period is, is sit reflect. at home and reflect. Reflect. And I was actually reflecting this morning. It's, I it's, heard It's you. almost as if you knew where this intro was going. I smelt something burning downstairs. Yeah, it was my brain juices. <laughs> and I have, I have come up with what I think is the most defining and monumental moment of my Cooper McCullough college career. Interesting because there's a lot of moments that instantly come into my mind and I'm, I'm very intrigued to find out which one you go with. Yeah. Well, I think you're going to love it because you were actually there. No way. So think, think with me fall semester thinking towards the end of the fall semester. Still thinking you don't, you don't know yet. I don't know. Okay. It's fine. It's all right. It's all, I'll give you junior year. We were, we Still were thinking. sitting next to each other. Amidst a crowd, actually, we were standing because we're a lot of places. We're no sissies, all right. We stand when our team plays. Okay, so it probably is a basketball game. It's a DBU basketball game. Go Patriots! Go Pats! And just a little reference: DBU does not have a football team, so all pride and honor that goes to most football teams is attributed to either our baseball team or our basketball team, depending on season. But homecoming goes for homecoming goes for basketball. Okay, and this wasn't the homecoming game, but it was an important game. Right, super close match. We, I don't I don't remember the team we were playing against, but I remember them being good and it being if we beat them, this is like pretty big, big deal. deal yeah. yeah. DB's basketball team is great. We're division two and we compete really well. Um, but I remember this team being like really good. Right. And so up until this point, I had I had been watching our other two roommates, Riley and Jonathan. They'd been playing 2K recently. They don't play it a lot. Like they just kind of had pull out like 2K14 or something. Yeah, as an old game. Which is a basketball video game for those of you that don't know. And so Riley used to play basketball all the time. And so watching him play is hilarious because he'll pull out some of his favorite trash talking quotes right. that he's seen from like playing of course. basketball. As anyone would. And so I was beginning to learn some of these phrases. Which so is I, good for you. You need a little more culture. I, I mean, I, culture is one, one time for the culture. One time for the culture. One time for the culture. And so in this game, like I said, Good game. It's very tight. It's very tight. Like right. almost tied. I think we're down by like one or two. Okay. Um, and we're approaching the final seconds of the game. Yes. Not like a, okay, okay, of okay. the quarter, I know but of doing. the game, Zach Funderburg. Yeah, this was big. Oh, I dude. was sweating. Yeah, it was. And hot. I wasn't even playing. It was hot in there. Yeah. So we're in the middle of the student section. There's like hundreds. Okay, so you know where I'm going now. Yes, I know exactly okay. where you're okay. going. We were about seven rows up. Yeah. On the edge. So you had the the seat by the stairs and I was standing right next to you. And yep. we like we were getting into we were being to feel it. I think it was one of those games like refs are not great. Other teams kind of trashing us, too. And yeah. so it's like tensions. You rising. feel the world against your sh- you just feel the weight of the world on your shoulders. Yeah, and you're like, I don't want anything else but for our team to whoop this team right now. Absolutely. And you just want to win. You want to win. Yes. And that was me. Right. And I had seen Riley Becker come trash up with talk. some great trash talk. OK. In good taste, of course. Right, 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 right. I mean, I'm going to represent Christ. Yes, of course. In good taste. But I thought that it was about time for me to pull it out. Right. And so Chandler Jacobs, the GOAT oh, he's himself the of, of DBU's basketball team, shout out Chandler Jacobs. He rightfully wears number 23. Yeah. he uh, He's excellent. He's good. And I mean, he was just balling this game as per usual. Nothing new. Yeah. Chandler Jacobs. And... It was coming down to the final moments. Yeah. Seconds left on the, like the shot clock was over. Like there was no, no time on the shot clock because yeah. there were seconds left on the actual clock. Okay. Didn't matter what the shot clock was at. Chandler Jacobs is dribbling down the court. And so we know we're in good hands. We I know we're, we're in good two. hands. Yeah. 
I, yes, I think so. Now that you say I it, I this. think we're down two. And he knows that it has to be a three to win the game. And he also knows it has to be him. And yes. And everyone in the crowd also knows it has to be We him. have a great team. We don't want to bash anyone on our yes. team. But we just... We know who needs the ball feels, clutch time. Yeah, it feels right. Yeah. It feels right to have Chandler Jacobs in the pocket where he needs to be. Right. But anyways, um, I don't know exactly where he was on the court. It was far outside of the three-point line. Yeah, Cooper, I know you don't really know basketball terms, but we'll call it downtown. Yes. It, for it those of downtown. you for those of you in the crowd listening, we'll just say that that he was far downtown. He was downtown. Stuck in traffic. Yeah. He was making a finding a parking spot. You know when you just can't find a parking spot, and you really have to have oh. you don't have quarters, especially pay meter. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't there. He was on the court though. Okay, okay, okay. But anyways, he was dribbling, dribbling, seconds are expiring. He like is far away, decides to step back, pull up. Yes. And as he's pulling up, Deep within me, well, I feel something burning. <laughs> and to set the scene, he pulls up and it's like just the noise from the whole arena was sucked out. Yeah, it was dead silent. No one was moving. Everyone was watching the ball and it was just like slow motion. And all I yeah. hear next to me is Cooper just yell. Yeah. So like I was saying, this was just something that was welling up deep inside me. I couldn't control it, but it just burst out of me. Right. And, and as the ball is leaving his fingertips and the noise is sucked from the stadium, I can't help but a roar from within me, and I just yell, threes, please, <laughs> which I had heard Riley Becker say many a time in the past. Yeah, playing two games. And I literally, some people looked back, right? and I was like, oh, I hope he makes this. Yeah. And then sure enough, what felt like five seconds later it was of just airtime, slow-mo, swish, and then instantly, Buzzing. crowd erupts erupts and you feel like a hero i i mean i feel like they're cheering for me <laughs> i want to just go down and hug my boy chandler after right. the game. right i think we did i think we stormed it because i did that of i made course. i mean it wasn't me you spoke it into but existence I, I said i said please I, you said please moral of the story is if you want something say please welcome to the next generation leader podcast where we believe great leaders are listeners especially during their youth good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them i'm your host zach funderberg here with my co-host coop mccullough say please and thank you please and thank you that's all you need that's all you need that's all you need guys and thank you cooper that was one of my favorite stories you've ever told well i mean you got to live it with me i was there I was there. Yeah. And this is also one of my favorite episodes. Ah, uh, I thought that you might say that. <laughs> they all are. They're all my favorite. This is Chad Hennings. You know who Chad Hennings is? I've heard the name. Okay, so kind of just to set the scene. I'm in my office here at DBU and I'm I'm just doing my work. And yeah. one of my coworkers, Daniel Salter, says, Zach, you gotta come check this Shout guy out. Shout out Daniel Salter. Shout out Dan. We don't just brush by that. Shout out Dan. He's like, come check this guy out. He's got him pulled up online. And it's because our boss is going to like have a phone call with this guy later. So he needs some information. On him. Yeah. He's like, you should get this guy for your podcast. No way you get him. And I was like, bet. Challenge. And so I just go and I find his website and I do all this research, find his email and I shoot him an email. Wow. Within 10 minutes, he says yes. But let me tell you, Chad Henning. Yeah. No, tell the people. They need to know. He is a three time Super Bowl champion. That's three rings, people. With the Dallas Cowboys. America's team. America's team. But and he, our team. He also fought on with America's troops as an air force pilot wow. flying a 10 warthogs. Yes. He's a pilot. He's an author. And now he's an entrepreneur speaker. The guy is a stud and possibly his greatest attribute or his on, greatest accomplishment. He's going to be on the next, he's on the next podcast. podcast. So just add that to the list, Chad, but he is excellent in what he does. Yeah. 
Excellent. And I love talking. He was so approachable, so nice. And I, he literally responded to my email within seven to 10 minutes. That's amazing. It was awesome. Just down to earth guy, down to earth guy. And so I went and talked to him and I started doing some research on him. I, I email him like, Hey, what would you want to talk about, about the podcast? What gets you fired up about leadership? And he sends back a one word email. And I've was, never gotten a one word email. Before. Not even, he didn't even sign it. No, he didn't even say chat, like thanks chat or anything. It was just identity. Wow. And I was like, that was powerful. And you just and I said, yes, sir. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so I started doing some research on some of the stuff he'd, he'd written and, and done. And he does a lot of talks about identity. And here's one of the quotes I really pulled from one of his writings. And we get to break it down in, in this episode. It says, yeah. your character and behavior, apart from a solid identity, will constantly morph into whatever circumstances you find yourself in. Thus changing who you are based upon those circumstances. And I think so many times that's so true for so many people of whoever I'm around or whatever circumstance I'm in, I'm going to change who I am to morph and almost people please whatever that circumstance is. Yeah. And so without a solid identity and without knowing that my identity is found in Jesus Christ alone, without knowing who you are, whose you are, you're going to morph into whatever it is. And right. it's going to be people pleasing. That's where a lot of college students miss is they're going to, they're going to morph or, or change into whatever circumstance or environment they find themselves in is we so so we see so many college students falling into partying drugs yeah. alcohol it's like they abuse. come in as a yeah. little ball of clay they really do. just moldable like whatever whatever environment they get placed in they feel the need to adapt and become that so that they don't get i guess eaten alive if right. you will they have no ability to stand on their own yeah so i mean it's amazing we learned from chad so much and it's an incredible inter- interview another one of those that makes me just sound like a little girl his voice is amazing <laughs> he's another one that sounds like he swallowed a diesel truck yeah. yeah if you don't know what we're talking about check out the interview with, with uh, clint bruce clint bruce he sounds like a man but we love him thanks for being with us chad here he is chad hennings well chad thank you so much for being with us and being on and, and doing this and i want you to start by just introducing yourself where did you come from What's kind of your path to leadership, all your experiences, and and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, I kind of got here in a very circuitous manner. Um, I'm a farm boy from Iowa. Grew up on a farm. um, And our family farm has been in our family for over, you know, 135 years. So I watched my grandfather my father work the land, and, and it was that aspect, you know, tradition passed down to us, the aspect of work ethic, of commitment. Um of, of working with others, of, of overcoming obstacles, those aspects. But then I went, uh, was heavy into athletics and high school. I was a you know, national honor society, all state, uh, state champion in both football and wrestling. Um, and with that, I always wanted to challenge myself to not have your typical experience experiences in life. So as opposed to, even though I was recruited to go to your traditional powerhouse schools, whatnot, to play football, I wanted to have a unique experience that was kind of beyond the norm. So I wanted to have that challenge to quote unquote, see if I have the right stuff. So I went to the Air Force Academy. And then at the Air Force Academy, I had both success in the classroom as well as on the Gridiron. I was a two-time academic All-American, unanimous All-American, won several accolades, uh, awards for football. Um, and this is where, you know, upon graduate, before I graduated, I was also drafted by the Dallas Cowboys. And this is where the whole aspect of, of identity, of integrity, really became real to me in my life is, okay, 
I'm drafted by the Cowboys. I want to go play. I want to see if I can take it to the next level. But I gave my word that I would have a commitment to serve um, in the Air Force. And our standard commitment is five years, but I chose to up it to eight years because I wanted to fly jets. So technically playing in the NFL would have never been an option for me unless I wanted to get out and be a 32-year-old rookie in the NFL, which you don't see too often. So for me, that was probably the the biggest uh, adjustment and biggest aspect where identity and character became real, where I had to own it. Who did I choose to be as a leader? As, as an individual, as a man that professes that, you know, his word is his bond. So I went to the Air Force, ended up flying the, uh, received the assignment to fly the A-10, the Warthog, flew in the first Gulf War, had 45 missions, based in England, flew all over Western Europe. And then after the first Gulf War, Armed Forces did a reduction in force, which allowed not just me, but across the board, a lot of other individuals, they waived their commitment. So I could go then play for the Dallas Cowboys. And three of my first four years in the NFL, we won Super Bowls. I had a nine-year career with them, a great run, and learned a lot of lessons in life there. And then after that, it was the first time in my life at 36 years old where I kind of sat back and thought, now I can be whatever I want to be. What do I want to do? And that was a struggle. Yeah, I mean, just to have that freedom to choose um, because it was everything was told. You know, you're the academy, you're playing football, you know, you're going to go be an officer. Okay. You're an officer. Okay. I got to play for the Cowboys. I had a great run there. Now what? So I just have been in the Dallas area have made the Dallas area, my home. I have a commercial real estate called Rubicon representation, but I also have written a lot of books. My passion is, uh, helping people discover that their identity and thus living excellence in life through that. That's awesome. I want to go back to the decision you made leaving the Air Force Academy real fast. You, you're met with a decision where you hold your word and go serve in the Air Force, hold your commitment, or go play for the Dallas Cowboys, which sounds very fun, like the obviously more attractive option. Was there ever any doubt in your mind that you were not going to hold your commitment? Um, no, there was no doubt. But again, there's a separation as to who we are because we are mind, body, and spirit. Right. Um, mind-wise... I knew intellectually, this is it, black and white, got to do it. But emotionally, spiritually, however you want to describe that aspect, I would go to the Cowboy Games. I went through pilot training in Wichita Falls at Shepard Air Force Base, which is an hour and a half outside the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. So in the fall of the year, uh, Gil Brandt, who was the player personnel director for the Cowboys at the time, would send me tickets for my buddies and I to come down to Dallas, make the two-hour drive to go to games. So we had 50-yard line seats. We'd watch the guys in my draft class, which were Michael Irvin, uh, Ken Norton Jr., play. And for me, it just churned up all this emotion. I could be me. I could be playing out there. And But it was having to reconcile that. Again, I talk about it as owning who you are, um, that identity. Who do you profess to be? Because it's, it's a choice. That's where the struggle really came. And I it never really... I never really reconciled that for probably about a year after um, I graduated from the academy. Right. And I mean, that's really what we want to talk about and hone in on in this episode is identity and who you are and people finding their identity and what they do rather than knowing who they are, their beliefs. And there's a quote that you mentioned 
that has really shaped and changed your mindset on that's by Dallas Willard. It says you can't change character or behavior and leave your belief intact. So what does that kind of mean to you? Where did that um, shift your perspective? Well, when I read that, I was reading a lot of uh, books on psychology, um, on human behavior. Um, I had just finished reading uh, a while before that uh, Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. And, and understanding, you know, the why, why we do what we do. And it all boils down to identity. So when I read that, as people sit there and they go through these self-betterment seminars, they try to find all these different things out there. They're trying to change their character or their behavior, but ultimately it boils down to who they are, their identity, their belief. Right. And for me as a Christian, that had a profound impact on me that if I can sit there and speak to a secular or corporate audience, and I challenge them on their identity, who they are, what is their why, what is your, you want to ch change your character or behavior. And ultimately, when they ask themselves that question, hey, why am I really doing what I'm doing? What do I believe? You get down to that root aspect internally, uh, as Pascal talks, that vacuum inside each and every one of us, that, uh, that vacuum that only God can fill, it draws people that, to that ultimate question, is there a God and is there a creator and where do I fit into this role? Right. That's, that's awesome. And so from that, you kind of created this simple, just formula, this just addition problem. It's character plus behavior equals identity. What does this mean? How do you break that? You know, down? I would even break it down even, even further that, that integrity, our identity plus integrity equals excellence and living life. Right. You know, very similar to what you just said. It, it's everything who we are starts with identity. Right. Because I, our identity is the how we filter our thoughts, our words, and our actions. Everything, how we react and, and interact with the world today. So from that, Everything stems. So how are you going to react when you're met with an illness or unexpected turn in the economy or, you know, the weather changes or you have to change jobs or, you know, relationship struggles? Right. Everything stems from that identity piece. But then when you throw into that aspects of integrity, whether it's functional or moral integrity, do you, I mean, are, do you pursue to be humble? Do you pursue to be courageous? Are you willing to listen to others? All these different character traits, too. That's where you truly live the life of excellence. Right. And living excellence, it's not a destination. It's it's a journey. It's every day you wake up and you put that stake in the ground and say, this is who I choose to be right. and who I choose to follow. So for you, what does that look like? I think excellence is a big, like, it's a cornerstone of your mission of what you want. So every day when you come to your office, what is choosing excellence or, or seeking excellence look like? You know, having the confidence of knowing who I am first from an identity perspective. And, and, and my identity is that I'm a son of God. You know, for me, it's to worship God and to make his name known. So what that translates to in the day to day is it's about relationships. Relationships prompt everything, the X's and O's of conducting business so that people come first. So it's not about just going to work and, and making a dollar. It's how can I impact, you know, if my, all of our purpose, if you profess a belief, in, you know, in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's about worshiping him and making his name known to others. So everything stems from that. So it's, it holistically flows out of everything that I do, the conversations that I have, you know, not that I'm standing on a street corner and proselytizing right. to the world. But it shows through my actions. As they say, when you're preaching the gospel, use words when necessary. Yeah. It's our actions that, that matter the most. So 
that's how I um, try to exemplify that aspect of excellence is being um, empathetic with people first and foremost. And then the actions that I take, make sure that they're done with, you know, honesty, integrity, um, commitment, exemplify all those things. Right. You kind of mentioned how we can change according to the circumstance we find ourselves in, whether it's the weather, whether it's the political realm, anything that happens, we change our character and behavior. So how do we fight against the the thoughts of, hey, I'm, I'm changing or morphing into whatever circumstance I find myself in? Well, one of the, the biggest piece of advice that I would give is to be totally self-aware. Realize that we are fallible and realize that man, as man, man can rationalize any thought or any behavior because we have to live with ourselves. And there's guilt, there's shame that can come in and that if we do something that if, quote unquote, that if we sin or we fall to temptation, that prompts us to, you know, go down that path of, of shame, which God doesn't want us to have. But we have to live with ourselves so we can rationalize the behavior. So with that is being self-aware that we're not perfect, that we can fall short, but it's to be cognizant of quick to ask for repentance or forgiveness and realize that, you know, we have those tendencies. Right. So in a leader's life, what does self-awareness look like? There's a big emphasis right now on knowing yourself. And it's almost like you're almost put in a box, whether it's Enneagram, whether it's like all these different assessments. So how do you fight against (laughs) that? But then know and have self-awareness. You know, the Enneagram and and these different assessments, you know, personality profiles, they're just tools. And again, um, a lot of that, I go back to you can't change character behavior and leave your belief intact. So it's that it all goes back to the identity. And to me, it's identity is a choice. You know, who do you choose to be? Um, Particularly as men, we struggle with the aspect of identity because we typically place our identity in what we do or how much money that we make. And when our jobs change or we're unemployed, underemployed, or we don't rack and stack against your peers, we're not making as much we devaluate ourselves or we get down on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not the identity that Christ wants us to have, or right. God wants us to have into who we are right. as individuals. So it all stems from identity. So that aspect of self-awareness is realizing that who we are in Christ, first and foremost, that we're our sinners, that we're going to, we're going to mess up, right. forgive yourselves, but then how can we impact um, others around us? Right. I mean, we, you know, as St. Paul said, you know, he had his tent making business right. to support himself, but his ultimate goal was to spread the news of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So as Christians in the marketplace, that for anybody, that's your main goal. Right. You need to take care of your family. Yes. But ultimately that's just a, a means to an end. And the end is discipleship. Right. And the end will never satisfy like Christ does. Cause no one today talks about Paul, the tent maker, you know, they're Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. And so I love what you said there that we find our identity as men specifically struggling what we do, like what I do defines who I am. And that, that's a lie. We can't fall into that. And, but for you specifically, you are an Air Force pilot. You're decorated. You're a three-time Super Bowl champion. I'm sure it's easy to fall into that. Oh, I fought that. I fought that every day because my identity was I was that student athlete in college. I was that fighter pilot. And then I was a professional football player. Right. But when that's no longer who you are, and and a lot of times, unfortunately, it's fortunately, unfortunately, 
it's those struggles in life, those points of pain where you have to come to the realization that I am nothing without Christ mm. and I am who Christ says that I am. Right. That's where, you know, again, the identity piece comes into play. Yeah. I want to go back to something you talked about. I think men uh, struggle with this a lot, this shame and comparison, shame and comparison, this, I fall into temptation, I fall into sin. So there's shame and, and I'm wallowing in it. I'm stuck in that. And then there's this other aspect of comparison. I'm not as good as him. I don't make as much money as him. I don't, have the house that he has. So as men, how do we fight against those? And because that, that stems from a, an identity that's on shifting foundation. Exactly. It's the foundation is built on sand, right? Um, so for me with that, I think one of the biggest issues that men face today in our culture in America today is isolation. Because of that, because we don't measure up and we don't want to be transparent, we don't want to, you know, quote unquote, open up the kimono and say that, you know, this is a breakdown of the facades that we put up. That's why relationships are so important to be in, in call it an accountability group or just a group of friends where you can be totally transparent. And that's where we need one another. I, I have a ministry called Wingman, and that's, you know, I based on that analogy when I, or that metaphor, when I flew missions, whether a training mission in the Air Force or a combat mission, I never went solo. I was always with <clears throat> another jet, another pilot. And we were there to totally mutually support one another. Um, if we had in communication, you know, in expending our ordinance, you know, in navigating, whatever it might be. We work together as a team. And that's the metaphor that God, we're the body of Christ. So it takes all of us together working with one mission, one purpose, worship him, make his name known right. from our identity for us to establish community. So the role of the isolated man, what the biggest remedy is, is get in community with other like believers and you know, accept, affirm, and hold each other accountable. When I say accept, I accept who you are as a man. I'm going to affirm you because one of the greatest needs, particularly as men, need, aside from physical intimacy with their spouse, is that aspect of being affirmed. Who are you as a man? And you know, there's nothing more powerful than a father to go to his son, you know, I affirm who you are, son, that you are a man. I'm proud of you. Right. You know, you affirm him and then hold you accountable because we're going to, I mean, we all mess up, but then it's also to say, you're going to bring a brother back in love if he does mess up that, Hey, you're, it's nothing new. I mean, others have fallen into that temptation. Others have sinned. Now let's help you move forward. Right. I think the aspect of community is huge and finding that within the church or other men that are, they're going to push you towards truth rather than emotion. Cause I feel like a lot of times in our society, we're so driven by emotion and, and our emotion regulates everything. And that kind of goes back to the morphing piece, but how do we fight for truth? How do we fight against the emotional lies that we feel when we get into a situation? My emotions are telling me one thing, but I'm not listening to the truth, but I'm so blinded by emotion. How do we break through that barrier of emotion? You know, there's, I think it's almost, again, rampant that, you know, particularly for young men today that we hear voices in our head that tell us either we don't match up or we're not good enough. You know, this whole aspect of toxic masculinity that, you know, men struggle with that idea of what is it to be a you know biblical masculine male. And I think how we've battled that aspect of the emotions is, again, go back to the word. What is Christ? Who does he say that I am? And then also engage in community. 
with others. And it's, I also, you know, getting to the psychological standpoint, what I have found for me and that I encourage my son and others too, who struggle with these negative thoughts and emotion overcoming is to have certain I am statements. I am fill in the blank, a son of God. I am forgiven. I am, or I do have the ability to live in freedom. You know, it's the I am statements that we have to have and quoted by scripture to back those up. Right. That's huge. I am statements. Can I go into that a little further? What does that look like for you personally? Every day, is it an everyday thing? I am this, I am this, just positive affirmation. What does that look like? You know, and it, it, it varies depending upon the seasons of life. When you're just going through it, when life is being thrown at you left and right, whether it's, you know, economically, financially, you may be struggling or relationally or whatever, you need to have those I am statements. It's like arrows in your quiver to go to and you shoot those arrow prayers up to heaven that you go back to the well for. But I tell you to establish a habit, you know, they say it takes 21 days. So by doing this daily, if you're struggling with this, you do this daily to identify, you know, affirm who you are, then it becomes second nature. I mean, it truly, you own it. It becomes a part of who you are, but there's some work to get there, to get to that point. I mean, I'm a, 54 year old guy that I've been through a lot of different experiences for me to pop out of something or to, to remember that is, is it's a lot easier than for, you know, say like my son, who's, you know, in his mid twenties, he doesn't quite have those tools, um, honed yet, those skill sets honed. So, but that's part of life. That's the beauty of the struggle that God gives us each and every day is, okay, do you trust me? Keep swinging. Yeah. Keep giving. You know, it's it's like I, I talk about character being kinetic. Character's kinetic in the fact that it's like a muscle. If you don't use it, you lose it. Mm-hmm. So it's a muscle that you have to exercise every day. And once it, it's like a kinetic with that kinetic energy, with that stone rolling downhill, once it gets going, pff, perpetual motion, right. as long as it keeps rolling downhill. So those skill sets that you establish in your early 20s, I'm going to carry forward you know, throughout the rest of your life, but you're going to need to surround yourself with other individuals to continue to hone you as you set up those guardrails. Right. That's huge. And I believe, I truly believe that your behavior follows your beliefs and what you believe informs your behavior. And then your character is formed in that too. So talking about character being kinetic, how do we grow that metaphorical just muscle of character? How do we work out that muscle of character every single day? Well, again, it's through that aspect of self-awareness because you know, for example, there's different traits of functional and moral character, you know, that you may struggle with humility. So you exercise that. How do you exercise humility? By um, being more willing to say you're sorry or being willing to say, hey, I don't have it together or, hey, I, I just, I don't know. Can you help me? And by exercising that, you can hone that skill. So it's, it's again, self-awareness. And that's what those evaluate, evaluation tools, the Enneagram, right. whatever, can help with that. But, but those deficiencies that you have, you just continue to work on it and think, okay, how can I work on courage? Well, maybe it's standing up for something I believe in a group, having a point or express my words or my thoughts when normally I would sit in a corner and, and not say anything. You know what? I'm going to s- step out today and say something. Right. That's huge. That is huge. Um, I want to go back to the who you are or is not what you do. It's not found in what you do. Chad, at the end of the day, 
what do you want to be remembered for? What do you want to be known as? Because I think it's very easy if you look, if you Google your name, it's three-time Super Bowl champion. It's the Air Force pilot. At the end of the day, what do you want your legacy to be built upon? I want my legacy to that aspect that I, you know, I serve the Lord with my whole being, mm. mind, body, and soul, right. everything, my, all my strength, everything served him. And because of that, um, I've had a great marriage. My kids love me, mm-hmm. you know, my, my grandkids love me and that I've impacted that I will have people, you know, at my funeral, whatever, stand up and say, you know, he impacted my life by, you know, give me a hug or it was words that he said, or he took the time that it was about people. That's what my legacy want. I wanted it to be about. And at the end of the day, that's the win. Your wife loves you. Your kids love you. People respect you because of how you've treated them, not because of how much money you've made. So kind of talk to the person that kind of is hearing this for the first time. They're listening to this. They're like, this guy is so successful. And I've been searching, I've been chasing after the, the pleasure of, the, of this world. Talk to that person. How, what is the how from this episode? Where do we start? I need to build a foundation of building my identity. Where do I go? Where do I start? Well, first of all, it, it, I want to go back to that legacy aspect. To your point where you just made, I, I've been able to accomplish a lot of different things in my life. You know, for all-star student athlete, all-American, Super Bowl champion, you know, made a lot of money. But ultimately, so what? So what? That does not define who I am nor what I, because those things can be taken away and gone. And, um, you know, and in our culture, as fast paced as it is, you know, I was a three time Super Bowl champion, but kids of this generation today, they have no idea who the heck I am. I mean, it's your moment in the limelight is, is very fleeting and it's a very short period of time. But if you want to make an impact in this world, how you make an impact is not through achieving things or accumulating things. It's based on relationships. Who are you impacting? Hopefully for the good. And we all have a choice with that. I will you know, attest that people have gotten into issues that, um, you know, say uh, Hitler or other dictators – you know, they were, they were great leaders. Look, they were able to move people, but their integrity, their their vector onto who they are as a person was way off and skewed. And their legacy is this, as a murdering thug that killed millions of people. So we have a choice. You know, first and foremost is, okay, my challenge is to, to anybody that's listening, what is your identity? Truly look at, be totally honest with yourself, because if you're not honest, you're only going to kick the can down the road. Talk with somebody about it. Ask somebody for feedback. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What can I build work on? And somebody that knows you intimately. And then just continue to, when you wake up every day, it's, it's, it's not rocket science, but it's writing those I am statements down and thinking about, okay, if I profess to have this identity, how can I impact those people around me? And just be open to what the Holy Spirit and to what God says. That's so good. And that's the takeaway from the episode. That's where we want to, anyone listening, that you are not, your identity is not found in what you do, how much money you make, but it's in, it's found in the people you impact and in Jesus Christ. And that that's it. So Chad, thank you for, for showing that to us. One last question that we like, I just like asking every leader, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Look at 20-year-old Chad Henning. What would you say to that person? What do they need to hear today? <laughs> Chill out. 
you know, it's, um, again, I, I was pursuing a lot of success and, and I'm not saying I worked hard, you know, and, and was able to do that, but your identity is not in what you do. Your identity is in who you are and who you're created to be in Christ. If you profess that. 